Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top nonprofit galas and signature fundraising events to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I am your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm really excited to have Amanda Hanks Bales on as a guest. Amanda is president of the Junior League of Houston, and they have their upcoming annual charity ball. It's their 76th annual charity ball. So this is an event that has been extremely popular in Houston for decades. So we are so fortunate to have Amanda on as a guest to, you know, learn from her experience and insight from really one of the best um, nonprofit organizations in the state. So with that, Amanda, welcome. And we are so excited to have you on as a guest today. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, you know, talk a little bit about what the mission of the Junior League of Houston is. Yeah, the Junior League of Houston is an organization of women committed to promoting voluntarism, developing the potential of women, and improving communities through effective action and leadership of trained volunteers. Um, And I like to say we do magic in the walls of our building where we train our volunteers to be the best agents and stewards for the Houston community. And then we unleash them into the wild and let them do all of the amazing things they do at nonprofits across our community, which is is what we are really good at. I love that. And actually, you know, when we get a little further into the interview, we'll we'll definitely talk a little bit about, you know, the volunteer, you know, the volunteerism part, because you all really do that in a way that really is kind of next level. But, you know, you know, first, you know, I want to learn a little bit about how you initially got involved with this organization, because everyone gets involved in with nonprofits in different ways. And I'd love to hear about your journey, about how you got involved with this organization. Yeah, so I was honestly um, new to the working force and and looking for a way to spend my extra time in a a good manner and, and to interact with um, like-minded women. Um, I am in the oil and gas energy industry. And so, especially, unfortunately, 15 ish years ago, it was, um, mostly men. And I was really looking for a network of women about my age, um, that I could do things with. And someone suggested the junior league of Houston and I looked into it and it's, it's a really great way to not only meet fellow, um, people who want to also spend their spare time doing good in the community, but then it also really introduces you and in, into the Houston nonprofit world and to gain an understanding of all the nonprofits that are out there. Um, and it, it let me figure out what my passions and, and my personal focus points are while at the same time, I really latched on to the fact that we, we at the Junior League of Houston dedicate our time and energy to training and developing women and building up future leaders. Well, I love that you, you know, you, you, you found a space where you could really find your, you know, for lack of a better word, tribe, you know, the people that you wanted that would allow you to really, really thrive professionally, personally. And you talked a little bit about passion, you know, what about the junior league of, you know, because it's one thing to be involved with an organization for two or three years, but for, to be involved for 15 years, there has to be a deep passion for this organization. So what makes you so passionate about the junior league of Houston? What I love about us as an organization is that we do 
we have something for everyone. So no matter where you are in life, um, we can give you an annual assignment or we call them projects or um, placements that can meet your needs at that time. So it really lets you grow and develop as a person and your relationship with the Junior League of Houston continues to grow and develop. And maybe there's a year where, you know, you need to do 60 hours every for a year, you know, same Tuesday night shift at whatever organization. And then maybe there's a year where you you can give a whole lot more time and, and you want to dive into a leadership role. Um, and what really got me hooked um, with the Junior League of Houston is that it started letting me develop skills before I was developing them professionally. So I was managing volunteers before I was really managing people at work, or I was um, attending budget meetings before I was really responsible for a budget and in the real world, as we like to say. So it's, it gives you a space to really train and develop and if there's something you like doing or don't like doing, or if you want to focus on public speaking, like I can give you a placement that would be great for whatever skill set you're looking to, to develop. So in the last 15 years that you've done this, what is a skill about yourself that you didn't realize that you had, but doing these, these volunteer, you know, these volunteer engagements, you've learned, you know what, I really have this. And it wasn't necessarily something you thought that, you know, you may have thought you had like when, when you first entered the professional world or first entered junior league? Yeah. Um, I've been told I'm a good public speaker and that terrifies me because I, it's, it is not a skill set that I would say I love doing. Um, but then again, I have no problem standing at our podium and talking to a room full of 300 women. So I think the public speaking is, is easy um, when you're talking about something you love. So that's probably why I might be good at it here. Um, and then I'd also say I've really learned how much I love, I don't like the word managing, but working with people and figuring out what makes them tick and how you interact with one person is not necessarily how you interact with someone else and understanding their motivations and how, how to get the best out of someone. Um, and that's, especially towards my later years here at the Lee, that's, that's what I try to spend my time doing is mentoring, um, sponsoring, um, really encouraging the, the, what we call the pipeline of leadership so that we have decades and decades of future leaders being developed here. You know, that that's amazing. And, you know, one thing I want to, I want to talk about, uh, dive just a little bit more deeply into is like when you were talking about, you know, placement and placing people in different aspects, you know, of the, you know, of, of various organizations, you know, can you talk a little bit about how, um, you know, how the organization does and works with other nonprofit organizations. Cause it really, you know, sometimes people have, you know, the perception that, you know, my nonprofit's my nonprofit. And it's very different from the business world. You know, partnerships are really needed for, you know, all the nonprofits to kind of lift together. Yeah. We, um, so we work with 32 community agencies and that means we place volunteers at those 32 agencies. And so we have worked with each of them to develop a placement or a program there that meets the needs of what that particular nonprofit needs, whether it's, you know, the Children's Museum of Houston or Texas Children's Hospital. Um, I can 
don't ask me to name them all. I, I will miss one, but <laughs> I would never do we, that. But, um, <laughs> but Jonas Museum of Houston actually has been on this podcast and they're a wonderful, oh, wonderful. organization. They are. So our placement there is overnights. Um, so we send volunteers that meet with a group of um, middle school aged girls and they um, play and I th- we try to make it fun learning right throughout the night. Um, and, and our volunteers spend the night at the museum with, with some, some really cool um, younger women. So or younger girls. So it's, it's a fun, anyone who does that placement finds it very rewarding. And um, we've had a long waiting list for that placement for many years. You know, it, it almost sounds like it's like, you know, um, like when I was a kid, there were things called lock-ins, you know, where like mm-hmm. you were basically kind of in a space. It, it basically, it sounds much like that. That is what it is. I can understand why it's a waiting list. There's that nostalgia <laughs> of when you were 13 again. Exactly. You bring your your bag of Sour Patch Kids and you are just happy to mm-hmm. be there. So I totally, I totally get and, you know, totally get and understand that. Now, you know, you would mention, you know, there's like about 30 different organizations that you mm-hmm. all support. 32, I think is what you said. You know, talk a little bit about how, how Junior League of Houston selects the projects and the organizations that it decides to support? Yeah, um, we like processes and procedures here. So there is a process and procedure for everything. If we are looking at introducing a new agency to our community program, we normally start them out through what we call community initiatives. So they get researched, um, studied, um, interviewed, and then we we try to look at what is that agency needing from volunteers, and then can our volunteers meet that need? Um, with keeping in mind that you know ninety percent of our membership work outside the home, right? So we're looking for things that we can do um, in non work hours, just making sure the expectations and and needs for each each agency and us as an organization are can be met. Um, we generally try try out um, uh, an agency by doing a couple, like a possibly a year of sample shifts, um, so that it's not necessarily a full time placement for our volunteers yet. But we're we're um, testing the waters and, and getting the feedback from our volunteers, and then if the feedback is good and the agency has the you know same opportunity to give us feedback too, we then parlay that into a new partnership. Um, so it's definitely a process. It doesn't happen overnight for us here, um, but it's, it's created relationships. We've ha- we have 40 plus year tenures with some of our community agencies, if not longer. Um, once, once we're partnering with you, we, we feel confident and the in the mission of that nonprofit, and uh, hopefully that nonprofit feels the same way about us. Absolutely. Well, I want to touch upon something you were saying there, and you know, it, I, 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 it's definitely something that you know I think need, need just needs to be talked about more generally in the world, and that is is that ninety percent of your volunteers have a day job and they, you know, they they, they volunteer philanthropically. So, can you share a little bit about? you know, the importance of one, giving back to your community, even if you do work full-time and two, how being in the junior league has helped you from, you know, you and just, you know, what, 
what you've seen from others benefit, you know, with them from a networking perspective? Yeah. Um, I think it's like, I call it, it's the mindset of I have to versus I get to. And anytime I serve in a, a volunteer placement that is having direct impact with our community, it can take a bad day and turn it into a good day really quickly. And there's a certain level of perspective you gain by putting the needs of the community above the needs of yourself. Um, and it's, so it's, it turns out like, Oh, I have to go volunteer to, uh, I get to go volunteer. Um, and I, I think you have to experience that once and then you get hooked on community service once, once you have that perspective shift. Um, as for what the Junior League of Houston has done for my personal network, my husband likes to joke that I have a friend for everything. Um, <laughs> if we need a realtor, I know a realtor. If we need a decorator, I have a decorator. Um, we, our membership runs the gamut of attorneys, um, doctors, teachers. Um, we have some ladies that work at NASA. It's, I really think our membership is, is some of our special sauce here and that these are really incredible women choosing to give and do things in the very, very little spare time they have and what they give to our organization. And then the other nonprofits that we work with is truly remarkable. You know, and I want to touch upon something there because you were talking about, you know, how you were joking with your husband. You've got a friend for basically every mm -hmm. aspect of life. And, you know, I'd love for you to share a little bit your thoughts on, you know, because the one thing I've always loved about Houston is how welcoming it is. You know, I live in Austin, but from the very first time I went to something there, people just treated me like I had always lived there and I was a member of the family because Houston is so welcoming. So what, it, what advice would you give to somebody you know, wanting to engage with an organization from a nonprofit perspective when they are new to a city? Because lots of people move to Houston every single day. Yeah, I mean, dive in is probably the the easiest advice. Um, I, I, I like to say, like, especially if I'm in an uncomfortable situation volunteering, I'll start like, well, I'm a volunteer, so let me figure it out, right? And I think even if you're interacting um with the general public during a volunteer shift, the second you say, I'm here in my volunteer time, I had a woman hug me at Texas Children's Hospital when I said that to her. So it's um, on top of Houston being so diverse. And with that, I think it becomes very inclusive and it's just, it's a great community. It's, I'm a native and I've, I'm addicted to it. Um, it also, the second someone hears like, you're here in your spare time, not being paid to do this, um, they become very grateful for, for what you're doing. And it's, I've, I've very rarely had a bad interaction while working on a volunteer shift. You know, and that makes total sense. Cause I think it's one of those seeing people volunteer. It's one of those, one of those instances where people can kind of truly step outside of themselves for a moment and, mm -hmm. you know, just take in that people actually do care, even if they're frustrated, you know, there's a difference dealing with somebody, I think, you know, when they're not getting paid to do it and they're doing it because they love it versus, oh, that right. person works here and I'm just, you know, I'm just going to be really <laughs> angry because I can't. So I, I'm really <laughs> glad that you brought that up. And, you know, while we're on the subject of volunteering, I know we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but, 
your, I mean, really, I can't think of another organization in Texas that has the extensive volunteer network that the Junior League of Houston does. So, you know, having been involved with the organization, being the president now, what is some mm -hmm. advice you would give to an organization looking to recruit volunteers for their particular nonprofit? Yeah, um, I would say find the thing that makes you unique because it's, and it's a constant conversation we have here at the Junior League of Houston is what are we offering that some other organization isn't offering? And how are we going to get new membership who wants to join us instead of spending their time somewhere else? Um, and so I think making sure that like value add that we can prove our value very quickly to someone who's um, contemplating what to do with, you know, 5% of their time is, is a really helpful conversation. And then it, the next level to that is, well, what are we offering or could we offer something that someone else isn't doing? And that would be the, what makes that particular volunteer opportunity really special. Absolutely. And, you know, what's great about your all's with, you know, 30 different organizations, you know, I always say people give their capital and capital can be both financial and human. And to me, both are equally, right. equally important. Um, it has to tug at the heartstrings in some way, shape or form. And what's so amazing about what you all do is you really have a nice, I mean, 30 organizations is a lot, but at the same time, with the amount of nonprofits, it's also a very curated list at the same time. But yet that's a large enough number that there is something for everybody. And you really can't, right. they can find something that really feels like it's something close to their heart that they can really devote, like you said, 5% of their life, waking life towards. I just think that's right. amazing. It really is. Um, and then that's what what I love, especially if someone's new to Houston, right? What what I think the Junior League of Houston can give them is it introduces you to so many new nonprofits that you might not know existed. Because on top of those um, 32 agencies, we also have a different committee that reviews what we call community assistance grants. And every year we're giving out um, grants to other nonprofits um, who are either up and coming or starting a new program. And they've come to us to ask for funding to help support those programs. So every year I've been introduced to 12 to 15 more nonprofits in Houston who are doing really cool, um, sometimes new stuff. And then I get to, I get to start following nonprofits as they grow and develop. So it, it the, the junior league and there are junior leagues in almost every city at this point really gives people a good way to understand the community they're working with and, and see the nonprofits, see a multitude of nonprofits and not just one or two, which is really cool. So you, you've touched upon something here. I know this isn't necessarily on the subject of the, the charity ball, which we'll get to in a second, <laughs> but you were talking, you know, about up and coming nonprofits, mm -hmm. you know, what, what, what is like one thing a lot of up and coming nonprofits, like what's one thing that you feel or sense that you're like, okay, this person's ready for a grant from us to take their organization to the next level? Yeah. Um, it's funny that committee just presented to us their proposed recommendations for this year. And it's, I think like, does the organization seem organized? Do they seem committed? How passionate are they about 
um, their mission and then, you know, being the, the stewards and training organization we are, we also dive into financials to make sure that um, they're spending the correct or appropriate amount on overhead, et cetera. So we, we certainly evaluate um, those nonprofits on, on a multitude of scales. But at the end of the day, it's it's really heartwarming to hear like, but for this grant, like this particular program wouldn't have gotten off the ground. And I think that's something really cool we do here and something I'm certainly very proud, proud about. Um, and just so many organizations have come back and said, well, once I was able to say the Junior League of Houston gave me their stamp of approval, other um, donations started coming in too. So I think I think there's something to be said from getting a grant or volunteer, right? The, the resources can come in multiple ways, um, getting our approval and our, um, our let's move forward as, as some relationship. That's great. And I love how you almost kind of describe that like a three-legged stool that it's, you know, it's a mix yeah. of passion on one leg, organization on one leg and stewardship on one leg. And if you're yeah. up and coming, you know, one screw may be, tightly bolted in the other one maybe needs that's where where the um you know the junior leagues grant can come in it's kind of that wrench to tighten that you know tighten the screw on that leg so that you're a fully rounded three-legged stool and you've kind of got the elements but you know you can have all the passion in the world but the passion has to come with organization and being able to impact as much people as possible so i love how you explain yeah. that you know, all the way through. And that, you know, kind of leads us to, you know, the fundraising aspect, which you all do with the charity ball. And I know 76 years, I mean, that's incredible. There's very few organizations that, you know, can say that. And it's, I know it's been one of the Houston's top social events for really decades. So what is the secret you think for an organization to really create a large devoted following that has people continually coming back year after year after year? Yeah, we try to create an experience for our members and then for their friends and family and then for our donors and supporters. And we try to make each year a little special, each year a little unique, and then really hone in on the um, the mission of our organization. And I think once once people see the mission in action, which you can at our charity ball, because it is being run by a team of 50-ish volunteers on top of, I think we say over 150 volunteers touch it in some fashion, but then we have 50 volunteers dedicated to it. You see the volunteer training in action at the ball itself, which is really cool. You know, and it's 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 interesting that you bring that up because that's the one thing coming out of COVID that I have consistently noticed is people are still willing to give, but they definitely want to see their money in action or they want to see where the money is going. And to mm -hmm. be able to have, be able to see people see, you know, see and donors see the volunteers and kind of the work that they do in front of them really can compel them to give and give more freely, you know, the next year because they had a great experience at it. So I love how you incorporate that aspect of it into the event. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's what makes us really special is what I think. I think so too. And, you know, one of the other <laughs> things, and one of the other things I love about junior league events, you know, regardless of the city that you go to is oftentimes they have this multi-generational 
feel because mm-hmm. the parents are there, the kids are there, sometimes the grandkids are there. How do you think that multi-generational aspect creates this really welcoming environment at the gala so anyone can feel welcome when they walk in the space? Yeah, we, I mean, we try to accomplish that in a multitude of ways. Um, I think we're fortunate because our membership spans from ages 23 to 80 plus, right? So we're really lucky to have a membership base that's that's that um, generational. And so once, I feel like once you volunteer with our charity ball, once you get hooked and you want to come back, um, we have a really cool thing happening this year. Our decorations chair happens to be the daughter of a past charity ball chair. And this is the 25th anniversary of her mom's charity ball. So there's just this this cool thing um, happening where it's, you know, a generation is passing it on to another generation. So I think we're, we're largely lucky that it's our membership base drives some of that um, differences and appealing to multiple generations. But then we also really try to offer, it's a three night event. Um, and our first night is cocktail um, and past hors d'oeuvres and not a seated dinner. And so we're trying to offer different price points to people who want to support, but maybe can't commit to a larger dollar sign table. And it's our way of one, engaging with our members and introducing them to the, the um, fundraising event in and of itself so that they can buy a table next year if they're interested. And then it's also, we use that as a way to introduce, you know, prospective members to our organization. And then um, same with coworkers, friends, families, like it's you don't necessarily have to commit to the the high level donation to experience what we call charity ball weekend. I love that you create that, especially for people that are newer, especially if you're newer to a city, you know, because the, right. the one thing, you know, and I'm not from Texas. So the one thing that I've always found fascinating about Texas is how philanthropic and giving it is. So to not be from Texas and be plucked into it, not that it, not that it's a bad, this isn't a bad way at all, but it can take a little bit of time to kind of get used to that. But I love that mm-hmm. you offer those more entry level experiences so people can kind of ease into it and understand what it is. And then the, they come back more engaged, you know, right. a, at another level. It's almost kind of like mirroring how your volunteer program works in a lot of right. ways that it, it allows people the ability to get involved and then their involvement can grow as they grow. And I, I think that's that, that's really cool how you all do that. Yeah, I can tell you my progression was I probably started volunteering at Charity Ball because I wanted to see it. And then a year or two later, I started going to Thursday night. And then a year or two later, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. Let's let's go Saturday night and and do the the big shebang um table experience. So it's 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 fun because again, like I said, with our volunteer opportunities, it can morph with your life and what you can or cannot commit to in any given stage. And I think it also lets us reach out to some of our older membership and say, hey, do you want to come Thursday night? Like we're starting to engage with some of our older members, trying to see if they're interested in coming back and experiencing Charity Ball all over again. Well, I love that you all are so smart in bringing that up. Because one thing that I've seen, and I've been doing you know, the, the Texas social scene for about 13 years now is people cycle off and cycle on just because of whatever life is throwing in the way. It could just be right. they're caring for a parent, 
they're, you know, they've got three children that are of a certain age and they've just got to devote their time to that, you know, the spare time that they have to that. But I love that you are thinking about that and there is a way to re-engage because I have seen people time and again, cycle out of stuff for a few years and then they come back with gusto and a vengeance and they're ready to conquer the world all over again. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So, you know, you mentioned earlier the decorations chair, and I just think that's so cool that, mm-hmm. you know, she's doing it on the 25th anniversary of, you know, her mother actually chairing the the event. But you always do the Junior League of Houston's one of the very best, I think, at coming up with innovative themes for Charity Ball. Tell us a little bit about this year's theme. Yeah, we never repeat a theme. So we're very proud of ourselves. I think it's probably one of the most stressful time in the chair's job to figure out the theme. Especially 76 uh, years in. Right. It's, it, <laughs> I got the list and I was like, I don't know how we're coming up with something new. We're going to make it happen. Um, so this year's theme is Enchanted, an evening once upon a time. And we have, um, let's say, many themes within each of the nights. So Thursday night, cocktail night is Into the Woods. Friday night is a tale as old as time and Saturday night is a midnight's dream. So it's letting us put something a little unique, um, a unique spin on, on each night's experience. But the theme in and of itself is um, I can read you our spiel. Do you want me to Uh, go for it? Yeah. Um, Our charity ball chair came up with this. So close your eyes and imagine the light mist from a quiet rainstorm on the petals of a wildflower amongst winding willow trees and moss-covered stones. Imagine fireflies dancing across the night sky of twinkling stars in the moonlight. This magical place and fortress of dreams is the Junior League of Houston. Its roots run as deep as a tree in a meadow and provide strength and support to all who are in need. The words building a better community are inscribed on each woman's heart and brought to life through their actions of volunteerism, education, training, and more. So the vision for the night is to really focus on what we're calling the fortress of dreams, the Junior League of Houston, but also let us introduce, um, I think this group really liked it when I said we have magic in our walls, embrace some magical aspects of of what what our organization offers. And we're really fortunate because we get we have a building that can accommodate this event. So we get to celebrate our building, which we're really proud of on top of our organization, which we're um, more incredibly, incredibly proud of. So well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, you know, because it is a r- relatively large event. How many folks are you expecting at this year's event? Oh gosh. Dang. Um, let's say, I mean, across all three nights, we probably get close to a thousand people plus. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people to have coming in and out over the course of three nights. That really is. is. It's a lot of folks and it's a lot of engagement, but it's, you know, it's done in a really good way. And I got to tell you when you have, I closed my eyes. So just so everyone knows, I, I, I closed my eyes when Amanda was speaking. I envision because it's in winter, I have this green velvet tuxedo dinner jacket. I just imagine myself walking in with that. Once you started talking about the moss and the moss on the stone, I was like, oh, that could be green. I'm like, and, and you talked about the trees and, you know, green is life. And, you know, I was like, 
I envision myself in the space the way you all talked about it. So you all did such a really Perfect. good job with it. So wow. that was awesome. So, you know, we're about out of time here, but, you know, I'd love to end, you know, with, um, with, with one question and that is, what is one piece of advice you would give to someone looking to put on their first, you know, their first large gala in, you know, really creating maximum community impact? Yeah, honestly, the piece of advice I would give is we we have a thing called a sustainer advisor. So that's generally someone who's been in your shoes before that agrees to help you out throughout your year and whatever role you're doing. Um, I would find one or two or three, however many you can get your hands on, people who have done it before. And I feel like at least I've been able to leverage my advisors to be like, this is where you should be spending your time and energy. Maybe not over on this detail over here, but this is what caught me off guard my year. And the more, the more I think you can learn from the people who've done it before you, the better off you will be. That is the perfect, that's the perfect answer. And it really kind of ties into what you were talking about network wise and networking Mm -hmm. wise is that, you know, really nonprofits are really about lifting others and people in that space have a large heart, allow other people's hearts to make your heart bigger and just, you know, expand the love. And then that way, someone, you can offer the advice someday to somebody else who is sharing there. So I thought that was the perfect answer. And I think the perfect way to, to end this conversation. So Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And The Junior League of Houston's 76th Annual Charity Ball will be from February 1st to February 3rd, 2024 in Houston, Texas. For more information, please visit jlh.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.